Kasich's big lead narrows. But was it that large to begin with? From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record. Joining Ohio Public Radio's Bill Cohen this week, Daryl Rowland, public affairs editor for the Columbus Dispatch. Julie Carr-Smite, statehouse correspondent for the Associated Press. Greg Haas, Democratic strategist. And Mark Weaver, Republican strategist. Welcome to Columbus on the Record. Mike Thompson is off this week. The race for governor has tightened, or maybe it hasn't. Maybe it's been tight all along. The polls really are not helping. Take a look at where the polls have taken us just in the past month. At the start of the month, the dispatch poll showed Kasich with a 12-point lead. Two weeks ago, a Quinnipiac poll had Kasich up by a whopping 17 points. This week, the Ohio newspaper poll has the lead down to four points, and a CBS New York Times poll has the race virtually at a dead heat. Julie Carr-Smythe, all these polls with different numbers, which one do you believe? Well, what I believe is two things. One is that there are a lot of assumptions from 08 that we're still working with. The pollsters are trying to figure out in their modeling, you know, what is going to happen with the black vote, what is going to happen with the turnout, things that happened last time that they're not sure about. And they're adjusting those. And what we saw in the Quinnipiac poll is that they actually adjusted some of their assumptions from the previous polls. The other thing that's happening is it's really an object in motion. Um, in the midst of this month, we've had some really nasty ads. We've had a bunch of positive ads that have begun to show the positive accomplishments of the candidates. And um, we've also had a debate. And so the candidates are starting to get out there and really um, voters are beginning to settle, I think, on their opinions more. Any other ideas on which of these polls is believable? Well, the polls are always believable to the extent that they tell us what happened in the past. It's not like a weather forecast that tells us whether it's going to rain tomorrow. poll tells us what people were thinking, at least the sample that was called, a week ago. And in a campaign like the gubernatorial campaign, attitudes are shifting literally every day. And so the poll tells us what happened in the past when we talked to them. And if you can plot the trend line, you can see what the ongoing trend is. The trend in the governor's race is that Strickland has been essentially below 45 and Kasich has been ahead. That could change just like any other poll could, but they're not real good at predicting the future, they're real good at predicting the past. Well, well first of all, uh, you know, I was on the show a couple weeks ago and, and was asked this question, and you know, here we just had started to see some of the single digit numbers start to come out, and they were talking about the, you know, comparing it to the dispatch poll and the Quinnipiac poll, and, and the point I made is, you know, and somebody said, who's right? And, and basically, they all are. It just depends on the universe that's participating. And what we're seeing now, and I'm very anxious to see the next, next dispatch mail poll, because I do think it's one of the best tests. I'm, I'm an advocate of it, of, of who, the, who the most motivated voters are, because there's that one extra step involved. And, I, and it, to me, it's a good forecaster, uh, particularly in advance in, in comparison to some of the others. But the, um, um, I, th I, I there's two things that are going on and have happened. One, more and more Democratic voters are starting to join the Republican voters in terms of an interest in participating. One thing that was forgotten is a lot of Democrats were upset because health care didn't go far enough. We're not out of Afghanistan. We're not, you know, uh, uh, a lot of things that people came to Barack Obama for on the left or on the moderate left uh, weren't happening. So those folks are, are, are waking up and engaging. 
We know that many uh, young people below age 30, for instance, they use cell phones so much they don't have landlines at home. Don't a lot of these polls rely on landline phone calls? Does that make them inaccurate? Well, some of them do and some of them don't, and that is one thing that's changing in the, in the polling field. Um, first of all, for pollsters to buy those lists of, of cell phone users, that's really expensive. So that's one deterrent. But yeah, as, as more and more households are giving up their landline and becoming cell phone only households, sure, if you're going to get an accurate sample, um, you need those. Uh, obviously, the dispatch poll, ours is a whole different animal. We do just mail. Well, one thing I would caution this whole discussion about polls is, is trend lines from diff among different kinds of polls. You really can't do that. I mean, maybe from the same poll to the same poll, but different types of, of things. As everyone's kind of mentioned, everyone has their own little secret recipe here, if you will, different methodologies, different types of people being polled. Yeah, well, the key is to compare apples to apples, and that's that's why I'm very anxious to see your next poll. I'm very anxious to see the next, you know, e each of these polls, and, and it's key to c compare apples to apples. Like, uh, you know, rat, uh, real clear politics for one lumps them all together and comes up with this average, which I think is probably a real stretch. Uh, but if you look at each individual poll, you get a, I think you get a good idea. Let me ask the reporters: Do you report on every poll that comes out? Or do you make some judgments about which yeah. polls are legitimate, uh, depending on who's paying for them or whether this polling firm is particularly partisan or not? We actually, at AP, we have very stringent rules about which ones we'll even mention on the, on the wire. And I got in a little trouble before because some of the ones with the um, widest margins of Kasich ahead were not polls that we could use. Um, I had to reference what polls we had been able to use, which were not showing those margins, and a lot of people were saying, well, look, you know, they're refusing to see that he's ahead, and it wasn't that. It's like we have, it's like a jury, you know, you can't necessarily, you just disregard that because it isn't real. There was a poll out <coughs> this week, for, but it was paid for by labor unions, clearly in the Strickland camp, and the polling firm was kind of a Democratic polling firm. I think most news media ignored it. Exactly. And, you know, that's not to say that poll may be exactly right. And I've read columns on Washington recently from journalists saying those polls are better. I don't do it. I mean, the, there's, there's too much incentive to, to color the results there. Plus, there are so many stinking people polling Ohio now. You have plenty of good polling firms in the state. The American tradition is changing. <coughs> it used to be the first Tuesday in November was set aside to cast ballots, but now with early excuse-free absentee balloting, election day has become election month. Early voting in Ohio started Tuesday. Democrats and Republicans flooded inboxes with emails. They held rallies, all in an effort to get their voters to mail in those early ballots or visit early voting sites. Projections are that between a third and a half of Ohio voters could cast ballots before Election Day. Greg Haas, a couple years ago, the Democrats used early voting very successfully. They had the enthusiasm edge, the energy edge. They got a lot of their folks to the polls early, and they voted for Obama and the Democrats. This time around, though, a lot of folks think it's the Republicans with the enthusiasm edge. So doesn't early voting help the Republicans this time well, around? Actually, I would say that, that there are two extremes in this case, and there's a, there's a middle ground. The, uh, in, in, there was a tremendous amount of, of enthusiasm in terms of early voting uh, in, in the Obama campaign because there was so much emotion for a lot of people uh, in that race. Uh, actually, the results between early voting and Election Day were not that different, which I think is key. Um, in this situation, 
I actually believe that if you're in the moderate level of turnout, that the party that has the less um, interest in, in participation but has, a, a, has a, a great field campaign actually has the better opportunity because if, if you're not inclined to vote on Election Day and somebody knocks on your door and somebody hands that ballot to you or, or hands that application to you or encourages you to, to, to mail it back, um, if you've got a great field operation, and I think the Ohio Democratic Party does, that provides a tremendous opportunity uh, in terms of catching up in terms of a lot of those numbers. Mark Weaver, what's your spin on this? Sounds like whistling past the graveyard to me. Uh, the early voting is going to help John Kasich this year and the Republicans, if for no other reason that in order for the Democrats to win this year, they're going to have to shift the momentum. Right now, most polls show Republicans ahead, which means people who are voting right now are reflecting that early trend. Now, if something happens in late October that changes people's minds about the Republicans and makes them want to vote for Democrats, then later ballots will be cast for Democrats. But these early ballots will have been locked in. Now, it's true a voter can show up on Election Day and say, I, I want to pull back my absentee ballot. I'd like to vote in person. Very few people do that. But I, I have to jump in on that, and not to be, I guess I'm Whistler's mother here, but the, the, uh, <laughs> um, the, the fact is that it's not about persuasion. It's not about turning one voter from one party to the next. It's about those subgroups that I talked about earlier that are not happy that the, the president hasn't gone far enough in terms of health care, that he hasn't, gone, he, he hasn't done enough to get out of Afghanistan. Those, those voters um, are going to be um, more impacted um, in terms of what they see over this campaign, what they see in terms of the Tea Party, and there's a tremendous opportunity to, to re-engage those folks. We know who they are. Remember, this is only the second major election where we've really tested early voting. And we, have, we, have, we know who those folks were who voted in 2006. Uh, or 2008, and we can we can target those folks and go back after them. And I think that I think I disagree. I th but those I mean, are base voters. Independent voters are up for grabs, and right now they're leaning Republican almost two to one. And so they're locking in in their early voting. If they were to shift later, the early lock-in would have a significant it's, impact. It's, it's, but the, who votes in this and who uses early voting is not about independence. It's about the base. It's about getting both bases out. Well, and we have to remember that the he mentions two cycles since what? Since huge long lines, a lot of what was considered voter disenfranchisement. My guess is we're not going to see quite as much as we had last cycle because that was a reaction to fear that that maybe I was going to get stuck in a line or I wasn't going to be able to cast my vote. I, I think both these gentlemen are, are making their points well for their respective parties. You look at the numbers uh, in, the, in the big counties, uh, Democrats are not so far applying for these early absentee ballots, but that the gap is shrinking. And in fact, as of yesterday, Franklin County was exactly the same between D's and R's. Now, it's a Democratic county, so the Democrats should be up. Governor Strickland's people told me uh, three months ago that if we just had Election Day, we would lose. Right. But since we have 30 days to vote, 35 days to vote, that is their opportunity. And look who was in town this past week. We talk about the Obama campaign. Here's David Pluff, the architect of that successful campaign. Next Thursday, uh, October 7th in Toledo, that's the second and last gubernatorial debate. Uh, just pretend that you're a political consultant. Oh, right. I guess you don't need pretend? to pretend. Yeah. You two yeah, don't well, need to. You two. I've been to be a political yeah. consultant for okay. about 30 years. Uh, so. give, us <laughs> give us real briefly your advice to the two candidates on what they need to say and how they need to say it. Just real briefly. John, uh, Ted Strickland needs to change the race. John Kasich is ahead. People are unhappy with what's happened in Ohio. Ted Strickland needs to change the race. I predict he won't be able to do it in one night. And I, 
Sorry. Go ahead. I was mm -hmm. pretending for us who pretend yeah, to be yeah. consultants. Yeah. Uh, I, the, um, I think the chief thing in, in the debate, Governor Strickland has to do what he did last time. He was very successful last time, and, and, and that was the beginning of the race changing. Um, and to do that, he has to get in touch with his inner Jim Rhodes and Dick Celeste, talk about Ohio, talk about what a great state this is. Let, let John Kasich continue to talk about how, how, what, what level of hole we're in. People in Ohio know we've been in a hole for a long time, and we're getting out of it. Daryl? Well, I, I think Kasich perhaps is, you know, being harmed by being perceived, at least, as being so far ahead, because I think people have already taken that second look. They're saying, wow, 12 points, 17 points, this guy really could be our governor. So he's getting that second look perhaps earlier in the campaign process than he normally would. His big danger is... Uh, well, people just regard his solutions as talk show solutions because you start asking questions about details on school funding and government reorganization. There, there's not really a whole lot of specifics there. Julie? And I would say, yeah, I mean, for Kasich, I would say be ready this time with some specifics uh, or more specifics, I should say. Um, and for Strickland, you know, focus more on what he considers his success story as opposed to this back and forth over Wall Street. I think people are, have heard it. Okay, topic number three. Unlike in other states, the Tea Party in Ohio has gotten only minimal attention and minimal votes. Obviously, if the movement here gets conservatives to the polls, it could boost the chances for Republican candidates. But there's one race where the Tea Party is backing a candidate running against a Republican. That's the race for attorney general. The incumbent Democrat is Richard Cordray. The Republican challenger is Mike DeWine. And to his political right is Constitution Party activist Robert Owens. That's who the Tea Party is endorsing. Now, Mark Weaver, you're working for Republican Mike DeWine. What's the possibility that uh, Owens makes a good showing with the help of the Tea Party and he takes votes away from Mike DeWine and that helps Richard Cordray win the election? I think you're always going to have a vote, few votes here, a few votes there to third party candidates. In this case, uh, th these two well-known major party candidates are going to what decide this race. The Tea Party, uh, they have some strong grassroots here and there. They simply don't have the statewide presence that even Richard Cordray and Mike DeWine has. Mike DeWine is a brand name in Ohio politics. He's known by about 92% of the people. They already have made up their minds whether they like him or don't like him or like him a little or not like him a little. That's not going to change much. Cordray's known by about half of the people and he's starting to get a little better known as the election goes on. I don't think you're going to see more than a point or two here for these uh, lesser party candidates. There's actually four candidates in this race. What was that tune I was supposed to be whistling by the graveyard <laughs> earlier? Um, because, I mean, well, first of all, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Well, um, let's... Every single let's, public let's, poll, uh, the Democrat uh, poll, showed that. Um, and, and Mike DeWine, after 20 years in Congress and 20 years in Washington and being lieutenant governor and being senator, should have a significant lead, and he doesn't. But uh, in, in terms of the impact of uh, the Tea Party, we just frankly don't know. Uh, neither one of us know. Nobody knows. Um, the, the, uh, the truth is the Republican Party thrashed the Tea Party in the primaries. Um, and so the question is, um, you know, to what effect uh, and, and to what level does this, uh, 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 does this take? We just don't know at this point. Owens got almost 5% last time he ran. And, and, you know, the interesting thing to me was that incredibly high bar that the Tea Party has in terms of making its endorsement, seven-eighths. Uh, I, I don't know any other group that has that, that level of a bar, and, and that, that shows some emotion. 
We seem to have a lot of uh, minor party candidates on the ballot this year uh, in statewide races and in the legislative and congressional races. We've got libertarians. We've got socialists and Green Party candidates to the left of the Democrats, and we've got the Constitution Party to the right of the Republicans. But are any of these candidates, uh, are they going to make any real impact in any of these races? Well, probably I think Mark is right about that. This is the first time we've had the, these party labels on, at least in recent Ohio history, uh, due to a, a ruling by Jennifer Bruner, the Secretary of State, earlier this year. Um, you had the names Robert Owens running for office, but not as a Libertarian or Constitution or Green Party um, until this year, I don't believe. Mm -mm. I think that these candidates are will remain minor candidates, but I think it it is sort of going to be an impact uh, maybe in the next cycle. I think what they're trying to do is lay groundwork in the same way the Tea Party is trying to get onto the Republican Party Central Committee and do other things to get their name out there, similar to a pre-Ralph Nader kind of run. These parties always say, oh, they're, they're growing fast. Of course, they're so small to begin with that if they just get a few extra votes, that's a, a big percentage increase. Uh, they talk big, but they almost always only get, like in, in statewide races, one or two percent of the vote. Uh, and and they say, you know, that, that voters say that they're upset with the Democratic and Republican parties. The polls seem to show that, but it never seems to result in the minor parties getting much of a vote. Why is that? Why, do, why doesn't the frustration of voters with the two major parties uh, cash in for the you minor know, parties? I mean, it's happened a couple times in presidential races. We saw it in particular in 1980 uh, with Anderson. We saw it in 1968 with George Wallace, who actually got significant electoral votes. Um, in terms of it boiling down the ticket in other races, it has been difficult. But we are, I mean, this is, this is a unique situation. And, and I think the, Im the impact, um, you know, um, we just, we absolutely don't know because the Tea Party is still an X factor in all of this. And in terms of their, their grasp of their voters, um, it, it hasn't been proven one way or the other, other yet. The bigger impact is less about the Tea Party, meaning the people who show up at the actual rallies, and more about the everyday Ohioans who share many of these issues. One statewide poll that I saw last spring showed that as much as a third of Ohioans said that they agreed with some of the agenda of the Tea Party. These are not people going to rally. These are people who are mad about their government, mad about taxes, mad about Obamacare, and that will have an impact in the race, and largely will help Republicans. Well, and I think that Tea Party is sort of a, um, it's really the Ohio independent voter, if you ask me. I mean, they're all over the board in some ways, and in the way that that middle ground in Ohio is, is often switching parties based on the year. Topic number four now. You could call it the day before October surprise. The Strickland administration's public safety department is in trouble again. The Columbus Dispatch reported Thursday two top attorneys in the office were ousted after officials say they were intercepting emails between public safety workers and the state inspector general and the dispatch. Daryl Rowland, your, your newspaper's been all over this. You broke the latest story here. Uh, this isn't the first time the department has been involved in a scandal. So what's, is, there, is there much political fallout from this likely? Well, that's one of the big questions we'll, we'll see over the next month. This probably has Probably the the biggest impact politically, I would say, is that as this is a reminder of all those things that you listed that has gone on with this same department, um, the aborted uh, contraband sting at the at the governor's office, um, you know, illegal immigrants being given license plates and goofy contracts and all that. It's just kind of another reminder. Um, from what we know so far, it appears as though Josh Engel, the who was the chief legal counsel and then busted down for a past indiscretion. 
uh, was doing this on his own. We talked to all the directors during his tenure. Uh, we talked to the governor's office. They purport no knowledge, no authorization at all of this. Um, so far, there's been no information to contradict that. We'll see. I, they may, for once, um, the Strickland administration acted forthrightly and quickly to stem the bleeding, uh, as opposed to uh, Helen Jones Kelly, who you know ran the, the records checks on on Joe the plumber. Um, she was kind of left to dangle out there, and that story just kind of went on and on. They really moved to cut it off this quickly this time. I've heard Republicans say it wasn't so quick. Mark Weaver? Well, this is a problem for, for Ted Strickland. The election's about the economy, let's be real clear here. But it is a very big reminder of how poorly the governor has managed his administration. This is one of his top lawyers. This is somebody who should have been fired months ago when it turned out that he tried to set up the inspector general's office and they demoted them instead of firing them. So the mistake here is, I don't know that Ted Strickland had any idea that this fellow was doing this. What I do know is, Ted Strickland could have fired him when we saw that he was acting inappropriately well, and didn't. He'll be held accountable for that. This, this, this pale, I mean, it's, it's a serious issue. And, and by the way, I think that when a guy's a Harvard Law grad, you're the lawyer, but when a guy's a Harvard Law grad and he's applying for a job at the Senate Minority Caucus, probably a flag, um, you know, I'd have to confess. But, uh, but I, I, I ultimately think that, first of all, this, this pales in comparison to a chief of staff who's taking gifts from a, a, uh, a person who's hanging art on the wall at their home at, at state expense because it's an investment. Uh, it, it pales in comparison to a number of scandals that, that went on for a long time. And, and I got to, I totally, I mean, I think that, that Governor Strickland has moved fast in comparison to any other administration I know. Every administration gets accused of not moving fast enough in terms of scandals, Democrat and Republican. But when it came to Mark Dan, when it's come to a number of scandals in, in, in other departments, they've moved fast. For whatever reason, this department has moved slow, and I and 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 and, and I freely uh, admit that. But but I think in terms of um, and dealing with a number of issues in, in development and in, in, in other departments, uh, this administration has been very thorough and very quick in terms of comparison to any of the other administrations. Just to be fair, on the earlier incident involving Josh Engel and. Uh, the alleged setup of the inspector general. Um, frankly, that, that came out in, in Senate testimony, but that always in, that ended up as sort of a he said, she said. It was a meeting between two people, no other witnesses. Well, they um, demoted them. They thought he did something wrong, and the better choice would have been to, to fire yeah. him. Well, well, this, not, I mean, I, but on a he said, she said, I think, you know, I mean, you know, you can certainly question all of that. Obviously, even in the he said, she said, there was confession of error. Uh, this is, on his part. This so. is kind of detailed and complex. Right. Uh, is it inside baseball? Does the average citizen really care yeah. about this? Can it be made into an effective uh, anti-Strickland 30-second TV spot, or is it, is it too, too complex for that? But it was on the front page of the Columbus Dispatch. Did you say it was off-message? It's off-message. The economy is the message. Voters care about what's happening in their pocketbook and their wallet. They don't care about other things. So you would tell Kasich lay off on this? I would. It's, it's not Which appropriate is what he did, but I, It's not appropriate for an ad. But I do think that uh, what's worrisome here is that Engel um, perhaps was being looked at himself by the inspector general, and if he was reining in those emails oh, in the midst of an investigation and something blows up bigger in terms of, yeah. you know, charges or something, There's then that could come back to the yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, it is off message. I'm, I'm glad to hear Mark say that because the message is the economy. Uh, for the governor, it's making sure people know that Youngstown is the number one city in terms of manufacturing uh, by the Brookings Institute, that, that Cleveland and Toledo areas of growth, and he's got to get that message out, and, and we got to fight this out over the economy. 
Okay, time now for our final off-the-record comments. Mark Weaver, you're first. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie was in Ohio this the past week. Why should we care? Well, because it's going to give you a preview of what Governor John Kasich is going to be like. Chris Christie had to deal with a big budget deficit in New Jersey. He spoke bluntly. The people are on his side. He got it done. That's a preview of the Kasich administration. Greg Haas, your predictions? Well, I have to quickly react to that since I get a chance in the follow-up. Um, you know, I think that the, the, the Christie campaign ran a detailed campaign about what they were going to do. One of the most important things about being able to do anything is to be clear about it, and John Kasich hasn't been. Julie Carr-Smythe. Um, given all these wildly swinging polls, I'm going to go out there and say we may be heading toward a statewide recount in this governor's race if things don't settle in pretty soon, if it's close enough. That would be something like, what, a quarter percent difference? Or that's when you have a recount, right? Right. And we're seeing the polls going 1%, Strickland 1%, Kasich, just depending on what happens in the next few weeks. Wow. And Daryl Rowland. I'm going to bang on the same drum I banged on for three shows in a row here. Uh, I was raised in a small town church. We had sins of omission as well as commission. Uh, These candidates for governor are running the most issues-free campaign I think we've seen in modern Ohio history, especially on the budget, the most crucial short-term issue facing this state. Somebody's China is going to get broke, either through tax increases or cuts to schools, colleges, prisons, mental health, what have you, and they're not saying a word about it specifically. And I will predict that next week Mike Thompson will be back in the host chair. (laughs) That's Columbus on the Record for this week. Please check us out online. We're on Facebook and Twitter. You can connect to all of that on our website. That's wosu.org slash c-o-t-r. I'm Bill Cohen. Have a good week.